Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits. But before we actually get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys that Talking in Bits is completely 100% audience funded. What that basically means is, is that you will never have to sit through no ads while you're listening to Talking in Bits. And the only way we can continue to do that and have been able to do that is with contributions and donations with great listeners such as yourself. So in order to keep that spirit alive, there's a few ways that you can actually donate to the show. My favorite way is podcasting 2.0 apps. There's a bunch of them out there, but my two favorite are Fountain App and Breeze. And with these apps, it's basically like any other podcasting app. You can subscribe to Talking in Bits. Um, you can load up some sats into the wallet and you can set how many sats per minute you think Talking in Bits is worth or how much value you're receiving from Talking in Bits. You can do this from both of those apps. Another really cool feature in, the, in these apps, these podcast 2.0 apps, is the boost feature. And what the boost feature is, is basically you get to pick a certain amount of sets that you want to send in and you can embed a message inside of that transaction into the show. And what I'm going to do is week to week, the best ones that come in, I'm going to read them and give shout outs here live on the show. So that's another way that you can help keep this ad free um, and keep this content rolling. Uh, if you're not using the podcast 2.0 apps, then you can head on over to talkingandbits.com backslash donate. And there you'll find various links to be able to send in Lightning, to be able to send on-chain, and even a Paynim. So go check out the, the website. That's another way to contribute. And if you're listening to us on the legacy outlets like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, then you could do the good old-fashioned leave a review, share, subscribe. All that stuff helps and helps us float up higher so more people can get this value and more people can get everything that we want to provide to our listeners. So once again, we appreciate you. The only reason we've been able to keep this up is because of y'all, and we want to keep that going for as long as we can. All right, without further ado, on to this week's episode. I also made the case for winning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. This is the power of Bitcoin. Since the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with episode 80. And I'm super excited to have Managing Director of Concierge Services at Unchained Capital. That's a long title, by the way. Phil Geiger, what's up, man? Jose, thanks so much for having me, man. Glad to be here. You're very welcome. Uh, you were on my list for a very long time. Uh, we were talking about it actually before we went live. Um, you're one of my better follows, man. And, you know, you, you, you might laugh at this, you might not. I think you're battling Guy Swan for the Voice of Bitcoin title. No way. I think so. I mean, you don't do the audio stuff like he does, but like, your points on Twitter are not only fire, they're on point, but they usually have a sarcasm to them, right? Like, it can, get, it can get real dark real quick on Bitcoin Twitter, and I think Guy Swan does a good job of that, but you specifically are, are one of my better followers. So. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I really like to keep my Twitter feed uh, educational, upbeat, and then, yeah, with a little bit of sarcasm there, so... I go, uh, I go pretty hard on you know the central bankers and the yeah. shitcoin promoters, but I really do want to help educate people about Bitcoin, and I want to help people 
think a little bit differently about Bitcoin. So that's what my Twitter profile is for. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that you find it enjoyable and really I uh, just want to keep it light because, yeah, there's a lot of heavy stuff, I think, out there today in the world. And uh, I like to just kind of have a little bit of fun, you know, shit posting through the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> See, with a little humor in there, right? <laughs> yeah. You think about apocalypse, you think it's over. And we all kind of feel like, at least when it comes to fiat, it's about to be over, which is bringing a bunch of shit with it. But yeah, you got to shit post and have fun. Well, you know, I think. I'm maybe naively optimistic here, but I do think I don't think it's the apocalypse at all. I think okay. Bitcoin is actually going to help us transition to a significantly more prosperous future. Yeah. Now, getting there, it's going to mm. be rocky, but there's no easy way to unwind the mess that we're in today. Uh, yeah. There's there's no scenario, in my opinion, where we're able to get from this Frankenstein global economy with all these horrible currencies kind of stitched together and all these people, you know, managing, mismanaging them across the world For sure. to a new global economy on sound money on one single currency that you can use internationally, kind of wherever you are. Yeah. There's no easy way to get there and there's no way that we can get there without causing, well, it's not really our, it's not really Bitcoin's fault, but without people going through some amount of pain. Yeah. Yeah. And the people that go through the most pain are probably the ones that have the most at, at stake and it's the ones that are mismanaging everything. So do you think that in your in your mind, do you think and we're jumping right into it, by the way? Shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going deep fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you think they're going to um kind of like go quietly in the sense that like they're going to try to fit in and basically say, oh, we've understood this the whole time. We're with y'all. Or do you think it's going to be like, oh, no, we're going to have to get you guys the fuck out of here before we actually... Well, one of my favorite things to just reiterate and keep mentioning is the fact that central bankers around the world are talking about creating a central bank digital currency right. is in itself an admission of defeat. Mm. Why would you need to create a central bank digital currency when all of the currencies around the world are already digital for the most part? Yeah. If, uh, if not for the fact that you've been seriously disrupted by Bitcoin. So just talking about central bank digital currencies is already them bending the knee or saying, wow, something out there has disrupted us so badly that we have to rethink how we're doing our money. Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really view CBDCs as an admission of defeat, but I do. Yeah. I think the fact that they're even talking about it means we just got to keep our heads down and Bitcoin, Bitcoin's already kind of won. Um, yeah. Now, do, you, do you think for them, like the data is um, currency in itself, meaning like you guys could have your money? Uh, what we want with CBDCs is to be able to get the real money, which is data, right? Because then they could track you, they could follow you. So, like, they conceded right. to the losing the financial gain, but they're still going to succeed in doing what China's doing, right? Basically. I just don't think that they can succeed with Bitcoin out there because now Bitcoin is internationally, it's recognized as a brand. Right. You know, I think if 100 to 200 million people around the world maybe have some amount of Bitcoin. Yeah. But Bitcoin, the, the name, the brand, it's nearly ubiquitous at this point. You can go anywhere in the world and mention Bitcoin and people will have heard of it. So they know that this thing exists. Maybe they don't know why it exists today or why they should have it. Yeah. But as soon as a central bank starts releasing this digital currency that, you know, loses value, just like. The dollar loses value today. And then on top of it has a bunch of restrictions on where and how you can use it and all the stuff that you're being tracked and, you know, and it's like harvesting all your data. I mean, 
Bitcoin just becomes so much more obvious when that's yeah. the situation. So the central banks, they're kind of stuck, but they, they're, they've been stuck for decades right. where any decision that they make is like a losing decision. But now in, in particular with Bitcoin, as soon as they start doing any sort of nonsense with tracking or harvesting your data or restricting the food you can buy or how much energy you use, people are going to see Bitcoin and be like, oh, I'll just use that. Yeah, uh, so point. in in a scenario where Bitcoin didn't exist, yeah, it would be really dystopian. But yeah. that's why I'm I'm kind of hopeful. And I feel like, you know, more and more people every day are discovering Bitcoin and they're going to start using it. And yeah, some of the best marketing for Bitcoin is just the mistakes that all these central banks and governments make nonstop. Yeah. They can't help but continue to make these mistakes right it's like in their resume it's like we're good at making mistakes <laughs> yeah. have you seen the meme of the the person who's it's like a comic and the guy's like what's the definition of inflation and then the guy's like what's inflation and then the other guy's like you're hired yeah and right. it's like central bank hiring <laughs> i haven't seen the hr it, department it's, it's yeah. probably one of the best memes out there i bet because yeah, it makes funny. so much sense um so yeah i see your point on like people and we know this will always move to the best form of money. So like, even if now it's just a hedge on inflation, um, if it's a hedge on not getting data extracted, then they'll move to doing that. Uh, right. So, so that would always work out. Um, yeah. Well, as, as Parker Lewis says, yeah, often Bitcoin isn't a hedge to inflation. It's a permanent solution to inflation, right? Yeah. Because Bitcoin can't be inflated. It solves that problem. It's digital scarcity. It has a fixed supply of 21 million. Uh, so there is no inflation in Bitcoin. And so it's the permanent solution to inflation. Whereas all other currencies, whether crypto or fiat or, or gold even, yeah. have inflation because we don't have a fixed supply, an immutable supply. So that's really what Bitcoin brings to the table is a solution to inflation. And what that doesn't mean is that Bitcoin always goes up. So a lot of people get a little confused like, oh, you know, Bitcoin's at 19K right now. The dollar is pumping in value. Um, Bitcoin's really liquid. You can use it. You can hold it. You can convert it into any other currency as soon as you need to. And people are extremely short dollars around the world. Yeah. Uh, we're a debt-based economy. And so when stuff starts breaking down, you sell your Bitcoin. It's the yeah. easiest thing to liquidate. Right, which becomes extremely difficult at that point. And uh, yeah, because, you know, as somebody was telling me, and, and we all know, it's like all the rules are good until you can't feed your kid. That's right. And then the rules go out the window and it's like, well, I'm not hodling shit. I'm going to sell my chairs, my Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, so that puts a lot of pressure on. So before we get deeper, uh, Phil, because we, we just jumped right in, I want to go back and I've never actually asked you this, but like the, that that intersection of your life before Bitcoin, when Bitcoin was introduced and we, we know where you've come since. So how did you get into Bitcoin? When was it introduced to you and what was that like, that journey? I was thinking about this the other day and I think... My first introduction to the Austrian style of thinking was reading an Ayn Rand book in either middle school or high school called Anthem. And okay. it was part of our curriculum. And in hindsight, what that book represented was kind of my first introduction to Austrian economics. But I had this idea planted in my mind early on. Then I went on to read things like Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, um, but didn't think too much about it. So I went. Uh, to school. I went to a university in central New York and studied Keynesian economics, unfortunately. Okay. But I did, it didn't really resonate with me. What I was trying to understand was how, how the economy works. How do people think? How do people act? 
um, you know, why we have these business cycles, why there's booms and busts, all kinds of stuff, like really the kind of psychology of an economy. And so I graduated school very kind of confused because Keynesian economics is just a bunch of models that are not representative of reality. It's like a bunch of assumptions that don't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't describe anything. It, it attempts to predict things, but it doesn't do a good job at that either. Right. So I went into software implementation. Um, so I had this kind of background or inkling about economics or psychology. Then I went into software implementation. I was in healthcare for a time being for about seven years. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time in December of 2014. I was in Madison, Wisconsin. I was at a bar. The bar was hosting this thing called Nerd Night, which is like TED Talks at a bar. Sure. Usually delivered by, you know, local college students. Yeah. And this woman went up and gave a presentation on the history of money and ended the presentation with Bitcoin. So really it was dumb luck. I was in the right place at the right time. I think... I had been kind of prepped just because of my touch points throughout my life with economics and with technology and enough of the puzzle pieces were delivered in that one presentation where it piqued my interest. So I went home, I immediately bought some Bitcoin. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be safe and not, you know, commit too hard to Bitcoin. So of course I bought some altcoins. I bought some Ripple, uh, which (laughs) died. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, banks are going to use Ripple. Like the marketing works, which is why I kind of hate the marketing so much. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Because for people who don't know what's going on, it's like, okay, there's Bitcoin. I definitely want to have some Bitcoin. And then, you know, what's what competes with Bitcoin now? You know, Ripple is a disaster. It's a shit coin. It's like dying. It's obviously a security and they're going to jail, essentially. Yeah, uh, I hope. But uh now it's like Bitcoin or Ethereum and Ethereum looks a little bit different, but in reality, it's just the same as the fiat currencies. It's just printed money. It's people managing money and uh, they manage it in a way that's very Rube Goldberg to me. So it's all kinds of trinkets and doodads that are completely unnecessary for the underlying purpose, which is to store value. Yeah. And Bitcoin just does it so much better, so much more efficiently. So that's really where I learned about Bitcoin. I was living internationally for a while and uh, stacking sats. And then when 2017 rolled around, Bitcoin price started pumping. I was like, I got to quit my job and start working in Bitcoin. So that's when I left my fiat career, did some consulting with a few different Bitcoin companies, did some of my own own work in terms of, you know, collecting and selling all the Bitcoin forks. Yeah. And then got connected with Unchained in May of 2019. The rest is history. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, what what were the resources back? I've always wondered this. So I'm uh, I'm a 2019 person that got scared shitless, ran away, and came back in 2020. Yeah. Um, and then I've had the the you know the fortune, and many of us have had the fortune of having resources galore. I mean, we have like at the same time it's like the safety and the Bitcoin standard was out, and you know as I told you before, Jorjiji was doing his writing, and so many numerous others. There's so many that I leave out. Was that always the case with Bitcoiners where if you needed the resources, you would go get it? Or when did you come in early was like you had to really dig for the resources to get it? The primary resource that I used when I first started learning about Bitcoin was Reddit. Yeah. Our Bitcoin was really, it was good back then, yeah. I would say. It's not so good anymore. Like, 
you go to our Bitcoin to see pictures of Bitcoin ATMs in a random city around the country or world. <laughs> That's what our Bitcoin is today. But yeah. back in the day, I feel like it was pretty high signal. The other resource that I used a lot was just Andreas Antonopoulos talks. Okay. Yep. They used to be really principled and really good, but he's really drifted. You know, he's yeah. he's now his message has been totally muddied by the the different shit coins that he's supporting. Yeah. And I don't think he's as sharp as he used to be. Back in the day when he was just focused on Bitcoin, talking about Bitcoin, uh, I found that to be really educational, really inspiring. Yeah. Now is that a, a you know, a biasy that you would have? Like, does he have any claim to actually have good arguments for the shitcoin that he's talking about? And this is, I don't want to gear this conversation towards Andreas because I really don't care. But like, I'm curious in your mind, like, you know, a guy like him who's as knowledgeable as he is, you would think would present some good points for other projects. So is it your Bitcoin bias or is it really that he's just shitcoining and has no place maybe making money on the back end? It could be my Bitcoin bias. His yeah. perspective, at least the last time I, you know, paid attention, which has been a few years at this point, yeah. was that he's a technologist and the technology interests him. And I can understand that. But the problem is that his earlier conversations or earlier presentations were really about this like principled approach to disrupting central banking and the banking industry in general. Yeah. And he doesn't apply those same standards to mm. any of these other projects. So Ethereum is just, I mean, it's centralized. It's a recreation of the fiat system. It's ugly. It's yeah. VC backed. It doesn't work well. People don't really use it. They're not for the most part holding their own keys. It's mostly on exchanges. And so I think he's just, he just hasn't, uh, kept the same standards or maybe that's my yeah no, that's kind I, of where I'm at with with that yeah I don't have too much else to say about that though yeah I think many agree with you on that and that and then I wasn't with Andreas early on but I can see where if you try to follow him it seems to deviate from the mission um I wonder if this is one of those good old fashions like I saw my fiat bag pump when I talked about this versus when I talked about that and maybe he's trying to make a living maybe it's all marketing from who knows uh but anyways we'll deviate from there so Unchained Capital came in um I'm a little bit blurry in this arena, but I think you were the spearhead or a big part of um, basically the the onboarding process of Unchained, right? Which is, you know, basically getting keys in people's hands. And, and we all know that Bitcoin is only as valuable as how you secure it, right? Because if you get rug pulled, then it's pointless. So can you talk to me a little bit about, or I'm curious about um, how that early day was where it was like, no, this is a great idea. We need to help people get keys in their hands. And this is how we would do so. Well, originally I was brought into Unchained as the director of product marketing okay. for Vaults, yep. and really just for Unchained in general. I mean, we were such a small team at that point, but right. we were really focusing on Vaults. And what I found was that there was a huge, huge knowledge gap from you know where people were at generally to the Unchained product. And I think the Unchained product has always been the best in the market, but we're so far down the Bitcoin adoption curve that there was just an education gap. So I was out there marketing multi-sig. I was hopping on calls with people, help like learning uh, about their needs and helping them to understand why multi-sig was important. And it got to the point where I had so much inbound demand for hopping on phone calls and our time that it made sense for us to start charging for it, to yeah. just launch the concierge onboarding service 
which is where you get an hour of time with a technical Bitcoin expert who will walk you through setting up hardware wallets for the first time, making sure that you write things down correctly, making sure that you store things correctly, and then getting you all the way to what I believe is the most secure way to store Bitcoin for the long run, which is two of three multi-signature addresses where one key is held by a trusted partner. Yeah. The reason I think that that's the most secure way to store Bitcoin is because it eliminates all single points of failure. Your trusted partner is not a single point of failure. They're holding one key. Uh, You're not a single point of failure because if you lose one of your keys, you haven't lost any Bitcoin. So really, when I think about multi-signature, I think that I think about it eliminating all single points of failure when it's done correctly. So that's why I believe multi-sig is the most secure way to store Bitcoin. And the concierge team is essentially your accelerator to get you there. From You don't have to have any experience. Uh, Actually, some of the hardest onboardings we have are with Bitcoiners who've been Bitcoiners for many, many years, holding their own keys in self-custody, but have just formed the a bad or incorrect mental model about what's happening early on and then trying to help them understand how Bitcoin actually works. Yeah. So a lot of people think, you know, my Bitcoin is on my hardware wallet. It's living on my device. Yeah. Which just isn't the case. Bitcoin always lives in Bitcoin addresses that are tracked by the blockchain. The blockchain lives on 100,000 whatever computers around the world and your devices are your keys. Right. Your keys help you build the addresses. Your keys help you spend the addresses. Yeah, that's important. Now, do you think it's um, it's a requirement to have this type of, you know, if, let's just use, say the term handholding, even though some may think that that's not the right way to go. Is it is it clear that you need this type of service to jump from, you know, let's just say never having uh, self-custody to going right into multi-sig? Or do you think it should be like an escalation thing where it's like, you should try to figure out single-sig first and then jump to multi-sig? How do you think about that approach? I actually think that going from an exchange into collaborative custody is the right first step. Interesting. Because if you just buy a single hardware wallet and set it up on your own, you're you're probably not completely understanding what's happening. Right. Versus if you go straight from an exchange where someone else holds the keys to your Bitcoin to multi-sig, you have to learn a lot about how Bitcoin works. Yeah. You know, the hardware wallets out there, rightfully so, try to make it as easy as possible for people to start them up and, you know, generate addresses and start securing Bitcoin with their wallet software. But at the same time, they kind of hide a lot of the technical stuff in the background. With multi-sig, you, you know, it's a little technical, but you, most people can get through it very easily. And if you have the right mental models, it's really not that challenging. It's just going through the steps and understanding the different roles and responsibilities of each component. Yeah. Now, if, if people always hear when they're going through single sig or when they hear about the 21 million supply cap and all that, that it's like, oh shit, like I could really screw this up for myself, right? And which is a lot of fear in that. And then you heighten that fear by, you know, possibly you or somebody coming and saying, well, now you need to do this three times or two times in the in the collaborative custody model. Like, how have you had that conversation and and in the simplest fashion and breaking it down to the point where it's like, it's actually better for you to have more than one? How do you go about having that combo? Which you probably have often, by the way. <laughs> I think the biggest concern that yeah. people have, rightfully so, is this idea of a single point of failure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Bitcoin is immutable. It has a fixed supply of 21 million. 
if you're holding a key to a Bitcoin address and it's the only key, you are completely responsible for that. And if you lose that key, you've lost your Bitcoin. So really, I think the concern is mostly about, oh man, I'm going to mess something up. I'm going to forget a pin. I'm going to lose this you know, seed phrase, these words that I wrote down. My device isn't going to work. One or more of those problems happening and then you lose your your fixed supply of 21 million. Yeah. What multi-sig does in collaborative custody in particular, so where Unchained, for example, is holding one of three keys to your two of three address, what it does is it eliminates all single points of failure. So even if you forget a pin to one of your devices, if you if your seed phrase catches on fire, yeah. it's okay. You have another one. Unchained can help to move funds. A lot of folks will start by doing single signature addresses or wallets using multiple devices. They're like, okay, so I, you know, I have a single signature wallet over here, single 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 signature wallet over here. Yeah. The problem with that is that now you have two single points of failure. Hmm. So if you lose the seed phrase to wallet A, you've lost funds. If you lose the seed phrase to wallet B, you've lost funds. Hmm. Multisig again turns everything that you're protecting into just one of many puzzle pieces that are needed to move or lose or spend the Bitcoin. So if you lose, yeah, you can lose really with Unchained, you have four physical items to protect and you can lose three of them and we can still help you to recover. So you haven't lost any Bitcoin if you've lost three pretty critical items. Yeah. Compare and contrast that with the two hardware wallets split up where you've split up your stash. If you lose any one of those items, you've lost Bitcoin. Right. Now, that's a great point. And now the, um, you know, a lot of people just like with the app, where where Bitcoin lives, that problem, that misconception is, is also that that hardware wallet is only one of one, right? Like where if I lose this one or if it breaks, because I always get the question of like, oh, well, what if I go to turn this on five years from now and the device doesn't turn on because it's it's a shitty electronic or whatever it may be. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that misconception and how it really works? Jose, you're speaking my language, man. I get <laughs> I get so worried about these little devices. Yeah. The the hardware wallets are are good. Like the major manufacturers that support the standard seed phrases, they're all good. There's some that are slightly more secure than others, usually at some kind of usability trade-off. Yeah. But even the best hardware wallet is still a piece of technology that requires updates. It requires, it's a physical item that might break for any number of reasons. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what you really, really, really must secure is your seed phrase. So when you set up your hardware wallet for the first time, it prompts you to write down a 12 or 24 word seed phrase. And the seed phrase is really, in my opinion, the key to the castle. And you want to keep that physical, keep it on a piece of paper stamp it into steel, whatever. Don't put it onto another piece of technology that might fail over time. Because, yeah, even the best computer, you know, the best hardware wall in the world, we shouldn't expect it to last multiple decades. Sure. Something about it is going to break because it's a 60 to $300 device. It's just not impenetrable. Even the best, you know, hardware wallet on the market, we shouldn't, you shouldn't protect your Bitcoin expecting that it will always last in perpetuity. You really want to have physical copies of your keys. And then if your hardware wallet breaks or it doesn't work for any 
number of reasons, you don't have to stress about it. You take your key, you load it onto another device, and you're good to go. Yeah, which is which is amazing. And the 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 privacy part of it as well, which is like you want to keep those around, but you don't want to tattoo them on your ass. Right. <laughs> that's right that's right because yeah. <laughs> a lot of people would be like i've heard these stories of like oh, i'll just embed it in a portrait or i get it and it's like no you don't want to do that either so yeah i think the the funniest conversations i've had are just around helping people understand that <laughs> they are the biggest single point of failure sure. for their entire setup so yeah to your point Worked with a lot of folks that are like, okay, I'm going to memorize this one and I'm going to, you know, bury this one in the backyard. It's like, whoa, hey, if <laughs> so I, I ride mountain bikes a lot. Yeah. I've taken some hard falls. Yeah. You know, one hard fall could be the difference between, you know, multi-generational wealth or nothing. Yeah. And I can't, I can't risk that. And I don't think people in general should risk that. You should be thinking about eliminating all single points of failure, including, and maybe especially yourself. Yeah, for sure. So no tattoos on the ass. That's, yeah, no. We're going past. I mean, you can put a tattoo on your ass. I just wouldn't put your seed phrase there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm not saying no, no ass tattoos at all. Just yeah, yeah. Just not, not seed the seed phrase. phrase. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, all right. So multi-signature enables for you not to be the single point of failure, which is amazing in itself. You know, I see now that it actually is starting to open up different avenues for different type of models. Um, An IRA being a good specific example of that, right? So now being able to hold Bitcoin in an IRA tax advantage account while still having custody because now you you went through your concierge onboarding, you learned how to use multi-sig properly, and now it's time to move that over there. I'm going to be naive here. And, and I've heard that you have the best take on this. This is why I want to bring it up. Okay. To me, playing government rules is anti-against what we're doing here. Okay. So if I'm going to go... You know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I mine, I do all this stuff. I try to KYC free this out, right? So in my mind, it's like, that's not the direction I want to go, which is now allowing the government to put rules on my Bitcoin. Because if I do X, Y, Z, I get penalties and I get hit on that. Sure. But it's a great product. So my mind now is just like, what am I missing to this puzzle that doesn't make me understand why putting your Bitcoin, I mean, I mean, I understand why multi-sig Bitcoin is great. Uh, in an IRA, but like just in general, why would you do this with your Bitcoin? What I would say is it's important to start by kind of setting the the foundation, which is that $35 trillion worth of wealth today is trapped in these retirement structures. Okay. If you believe that Bitcoin is going to be the global reserve currency or is becoming the global reserve currency like I do, then all of that, all that $35 trillion will at some point be converted into Bitcoin. Mm. Now, there's a, a, a subsect of people that feel like you should just liquidate your old 401k or your IRA, take the hit, go and buy Bitcoin with it which I, I can kind of understand. But the problem with that is if you have a vast majority of your wealth in a 401k or an IRA or just this retirement structure before you even learn about Bitcoin, then what do you do? Like, do you really want to, if you have a traditional 401k, you could close it out. You have to pay income tax on all of that money on your retirement savings. You pay True. income tax plus a 10% penalty. So for a lot of people, 
if you liquidate your retirement account, you're coming out with 40% less uh, than you would have. Good right? point. Yeah. That, you, you, that's a huge chunk of many people's entire net worths. Yeah. So what's incredible about the Unchained IRA is it skirts around those penalties. So you can take your old 401k that you've been you've forgotten about from an old employer or something like that. That's a vast majority of your net worth. You can convert all of that into Bitcoin where you now have two of three private keys. So the Bitcoin, of course, is still living in this retirement structure, but you have the private keys to the Bitcoin. So you have full unilateral permissionless control over your retirement. So I think it is a great, practical, pragmatic product for a significant amount of wealth in the U.S. Yeah. Now, you know, there's, of course, new new cash being generated or being earned every day. And if you don't have a large percentage of your net worth in the old retirement system, I might not recommend an IRA for you. Sure. But, you know, many people, like I, I mentioned, have you know, 60, 70, 80% of their savings trapped in this zombie retirement system. And this at least gives them the ability to preserve the amount of value that they've created and hold the private keys. And so I'm a a very strong believer that Bitcoin is asymmetric defensive technology. If you're holding the private keys to your Bitcoin, it doesn't matter what rules and laws and regulations there are. The Bitcoin cannot be confiscated from you unless you provide authentication from your keys. Yeah. So that's a great I think point, it, yeah. you know, and I, I wouldn't want to try to provoke the government to come after you or looking for you or anything, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's what they would have to do in order to get your funds. And if you contrast that with uh, the current system, which is where somebody else is just holding on, you know, you're... Your 401k is just kind of invested in these index funds that your employer picks and you don't care about them and you're paying a fee and you forgot about your old 401k. Yeah. Like holding the keys to real Bitcoin while not having to pay the government up to 40 or 50 percent of your of your life savings. Yeah. Is extremely powerful. And that's why it's so popular. I mean, I think from a, you know, there's a certain folks in Bitcoin and I completely understand their perspective as like. I only want non-KYC Bitcoin. I don't want the government to know anything about me. And I think that's great. And it's something that they should go for and do. And I'm very supportive of that. But the reality of the fact is that most people have most of their wealth trapped here. And I think this is just the best way to get it out. I love that. It's yeah, it's a bunch of battle points across the board. The forty percent hit. Nobody wants to take that, especially if you spent a long time building that up. Well, yeah, and uh, you're paying the government. You're so yeah. it's like you're funding the government <laughs> to get your money out of the government's uh, yeah. eyes. And then for a lot of folks, like this is a large sum of money, and you can't just go and buy, you know, up multiple millions of dollars of Bitcoin yeah. off the street very easily. Like you typically have to go and then KYC with another exchange or OTC desk. Right. And then you're paying capital gains on that too. So right. you've paid 40% or whatever, you know, income tax plus 10%. Then you KYC in the exchange or OTC desk realm. Then yeah. you buy Bitcoin. Then if it increases in value and the government's still around, like if you want to buy anything with it, you're paying income gains tax on that again. So, you know, just I think different ways to protect Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin is just really important. And we can kind of 
play the the game that is already being played today, but skirt around the most important thing, which is now what they can hold. Now people can hold their own keys. Yeah, well, that was going to be my follow-up question. So does all that still apply to you in your head if the product didn't allow you to have your own keys? No, I would not. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend moving your retirement into any tax-advantaged Bitcoin account that does not give you control of your private keys. That's just setting yourself up for such disaster. And we've already seen multiple hacks from these they're really traditional IRA companies that have realized, oh, wow, we can probably make a lot of money on Bitcoin. Yeah. So they don't really understand Bitcoin. They don't understand keys. They don't understand how to custody it. And so we've we've already seen, yeah, large sums of people's retirement wealth vanish in hacks. I think yeah. IRA Financial Group lost $35 million. Uh, recently, iTrust Capital, their uh, building was swatted. Um, I don't think any of their, <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I think it was swatted and uh, they didn't lose, I don't think any of their clients funds, but they're just honeypots and they don't, a lot of these companies just don't understand Bitcoin. Yeah. So if you're going to do tax advantage Bitcoin, which again, I think makes sense if you already have most of your wealth in the retirement system, make sure you're working with a Bitcoin company. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and you have the keys, and you have the keys. Yeah. You got to have the keys. Not your keys, not your cheese. Yeah, yeah. right. Because it circles back to the whole importance of the multi-sig security structure. That's and right. It even works at that in that arena. And then even if you're naive like me and thinking the government this, the government that, well, besides put a bullet in your head, I mean, they they can't do much of it. I mean, they could probably tax you to death and try to do other ways to kind of extort you. But the actual physical Bitcoin will never be in their possession without your authorization. That's right. I mean, and they can put a bullet in your head and they still cannot get the Bitcoin. Right. So it's a, it's <laughs> right? a lost like, cause at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm obviously not advocating for any sort of violence or anything. But sure. It yeah. just, if you think about the cost to, uh, to go out and confiscate wealth, like that's one of the best defenses that you can have against the government. Yeah. Kind of, if you're, that's the number one concern that you have, like government's going to, you know, close down my account, seize all my funds, like making yourself the most expensive to attack right. is very good, right? Think, yeah. Because what's way cheaper than going after Bitcoin holders uh, who have, you know, keys geographically separated in multiple jurisdictions, what's way easier than that is going to Coinbase and shutting down all the accounts and stealing the funds. Right. Like right. that's significantly easier and you could do it for, you know, millions of people yeah. versus you know, hunting down each individual, you know, multi-sig user around the country is just expensive and you have to actually send people to do it. And it's, it's a mess. Right. I, on a smaller scale, I was actually talking to uh, the guy who cut my hair last time uh, about multi-signature in that sense, but it was just more on like at a home, um, you know, like being somebody trying to rob you at home, right? Where it's like, well, if I know I, if I know you have a bunch of cash sitting in your safe, then it's probably highly likely that I would like to get in there because there's a good chance I could get that cash. On the other hand, with multi-signature, if I'm going to do all this work to get into your house, bypass the dog, bypass any possible weapons that you may have, right? And then I get to the actual safe and get in, there's no proof, there's no reason for them to know that I have both keys there. That's right. So you could do, you know, you're expensive to get. You could do all this stuff and walk away with a hardware device that has nothing in it because you still need the other set of keys. Well, that's maybe the understated advantage of multi-signature is they could even have two out of three keys to a two of three address or three out of five keys to a three of five address. And unless they know that these keys are protecting a multi-sig 
two of three address and have additional information, they still don't have the Bitcoin. They can have all the keys, right. but unless they they know, unless they have more knowledge or, you know, at Unchained, we provide a wallet configuration file, right. which boots up your, your multi-sig wallet. Unless they have that, they have nothing because they can connect it to, they can connect the hardware wallet to Trezor Suite, Ledger Live, Electrum, whatever, and it's going to show zero balance because there are no funds living at single signature addresses. They're all living at multi-signature addresses, which requires more information to go and find. You need a treasure map, right? You have yeah. the key. You don't have the treasure map. Love it. Yeah. yeah I learned great. that from you guys, by the way, the treasure map is such a great analogy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just, yeah. One of those things where I was just telling him, he was kind of like jaw drop, like, and I'm like, yeah, like this is where it's just supreme protection of wealth and they would have to go through all these ex expensive to get is the best way to put it. Yeah. What I love about that aspect again, and the understated advantage of multi-sig is you can safely give one of your seed phrases to a trusted relative. Yeah. And they have no way of finding out how much Bitcoin it's protecting. Yeah. So in multi-sig, it really helps with the inheritance problem as well, because, you know, what happens if something happens to you? You're that single point of failure. You know, you get, you fall off your bike, hit your head. Um, a loved one can take one seed phrase and then go work with a partner to recover funds. But at no point in time before that moment, do they need to know how much Bitcoin you have uh, or who you're even working with? Right. Yeah, that, that's a that's an amazing point. Yeah. Uh, and then with the single sig, of course, like you said, if you fall off and get hit, then there goes your family's well forever. Boom. Done. Hey, guys. If Thanks for playing. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys have not been listening this past whatever half hour or so like it multi-signatures the way self self-custody is the way we, we all know that that's already no always hold your keys yeah yeah and then the multi-signature aspect and then you know if, if another layer on top of that if it's too intimidating getting the help that you need to get set up and get squared up um i think that that's an amazing uh not only an amazing thing that we do here at unchained uh but just amazing in general because i can already hear the people in their head right now thinking like I could barely protect one key. I'm not going to be able to protect three keys. I don't know shit about private keys. I don't know blah, blah, blah. All these excuses that you run through yourself mm -hmm. when you figure out that you could be your own worst enemy. And then here you are, here we are basically sitting here and saying like, hey, come talk to us. Like, we got you. We're going to help you make sure to the yeah. best of our abilities. Because <laughs> some people still override that, that, you know, that knowledge information and just think that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you set it up and forget it and don't have to do anything on your end. Um, a good example I can think about too is um, uh, having uh, consolidating UTXOs. Right? Oh yeah, like maintaining you know that that vault of maintaining that wallet. A lot of people still you know reach out to me and say, well, I thought I could just set it and forget it, and it's like, no, you still have some work to do, but we got you there. It's funny, a lot of these features that we offer yeah. uh, on the concierge team and UTXO consolidation advice is one of those. Uh, one of those perks of being an unchained client. And for those of you who don't know what that is, whenever you make a deposit to a Bitcoin address, each deposit is a chunk of data called a UTXO, unspent transaction output. So a Bitcoin wallet is a series of addresses controlled by your keys. So if you have a single signature wallet, you have one key, you have a bunch of addresses, and you have a bunch of chunks of data, UTXOs, living out those addresses. The problem with UTXOs, or really it's not the problem, it's just kind of how Bitcoin works, is you pay for the amount of data that you send around the network because there's, you know, as mentioned earlier, 100,000 people around the world tracking all of these transactions and storing all this data on their computer, the blockchain, which is about 400 something gigabytes now. Yep. 
So if you want to move your Bitcoin, you're paying to ship data to 100,000 people around the world. So that's what you're paying for. You're not paying for the amount of Bitcoin that you're sending around. You're paying for the chunks of data. So as you're DCAing, as you're mining, whatever, you're accumulating these deposits. And at a certain point, it's going to become prohibitively expensive to send these funds around. And on top of that, your little hardware wallet, which is a pretty simple device on purpose, it's very stripped down, it has limited memory, it's going to struggle to actually sign and, and spend the funds unless you do multiple transactions. So at Unchained, the concierge team will just be on the lookout for you. And as soon as you start getting kind of a high number of UTXOs, we'll just give you a reminder and say, hey, you know, your vault's looking a little heavy right now. Let us know if you want to hop on a quick call to consolidate that. And all you do to consolidate transaction, uh, consolidate UTXOs, is send one transaction uh, that spends all of the UTXOs as one kind of chunk of inputs. Yeah. And then it returns it to your wallet as just a single deposit. So yeah. you might have 100 deposits. One transaction can return those as just a single deposit, a single chunk of data. Yeah. So it, I, I it mean, keeps your vault light, keeps your wallet light, and then you're able to, yeah, send send funds around cheaper and uh, faster in the future. Yeah, let me give you my analogy. Let me know if I'm off base or if it kind of works the same exact way. So if I have an actual physical wallet in my back pocket and I stuff in it, $200 of $1 bills. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really hard to fold that wallet. It's going to be hard to have it in my back pocket. It's going to be harder for me to siphon through it and get how much I need. But if I hand that over to a cash register to pay for something that's, let's say, five bucks, and then she gives me back bigger bills as change, right? Maybe a $50 bill, a $100 bill, right? Now my wallet is back to being useful, right? It's yep. lighter. It's a lot lighter. Right? I can move it in there. I can fold it. I can carry it around. And then the next time I got to pay somebody, I can pull out a 50, right? And much faster. Is that a good analogy for that as well? Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I, I think another analogy I've heard is uh, a piggy bank when you're, you know, stuffing coins in it, it gets yep. really heavy and you can have coins that are 25 cents. You can have dollar coins in there. You can have, you know, a gold coin that's worth a thousand bucks or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it's getting heavier and heavier. And then imagine shipping that piggy bank uh, around the world, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's expensive because it's heavier. And so really what consolidating your UTXOs does is it takes that piggy bank, takes all the cash out of it, um, returns it as just one, one coin. One coin. Yeah, yeah. Like yep. You mend them all together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, no, something you guys are getting wisdom here for free, here, just on, <laughs> on the spot. But it, right. it is very important because it would be a shame if, I mean, at the end of the road, if somebody does not consolidate their UTXOs, the worst case scenario is high, just paying a shitload of money to, to make the transaction and maybe having to do multiple. That's worst case scenario. Yeah, Bitcoin is still safe. Of course, you haven't lost any of the Bitcoin. Yeah. But the when we say high fees, like that is a real serious financial risk in yeah. the future for having a lot of UTXOs. Right now, the Bitcoin uh, base layer is is pretty inexpensive to send funds around. I think you can get one or two Satoshi per byte transactions processed within a few hours today. Yeah. But we, there's no reason for us to expect that that will happen, uh, that will, that will continue in the future as Bitcoin continues to grow. Yeah. So even with Bitcoin as, uh, with the network kind of as uncongested as it is today, last year there was a few moments uh, where the fee went up to over a hundred sats per byte. People wanted to move their funds I've seen transactions cost, you know, a thousand plus dollars, 
right? And yeah. so it becomes a really big problem if the network gets more congested and you need to make a transaction. So while the network isn't congested, it's a really good opportunity to consolidate your UTXOs so that you're set up and ready to go for when things do get congested. You know, and you don't have to just consolidate down to one UTXO because the problem there is there's definitely some privacy concerns because you've now associated all of these previous addresses with one single address. Um, and also, if you want to spend from that address, maybe you don't want to spend one Bitcoin at a time. You want to have maybe a few different addresses with 0.1 Bitcoin in them. That's yeah. okay. You don't, you don't have to have necessarily just one UTXO, but you definitely don't want to have two or 300 UTXOs. Right. I think of it as like, hey man, clean up your room, right? Yeah, <laughs> for real. 300 yeah. UTXOs, Yeah, that's, that's a lot. lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even today, 300 UTXOs, and it also depends on type of address, so a single signature versus multi-sig, two of three, three of five. The larger the multi-sig quorum, the the heavier, the bulkier the address is. Yeah. And so the more expensive it is to send it around the network. So yeah, 200 UTXO transaction and a two of three address, even today with fees at, you know, 10 sats per byte, three, three to five, three to 10 sats per byte, you're looking at an expensive transaction. I mean, that's yeah. tens of dollars at least. And there's a good a good opportunity that that's actually happening because when people first get introduced to cold storage, it's always the philosophy of DCA into cold storage. Yeah. So like it, 300 may to some people who are at more expert level, maybe like never, right? But like there's a lot of people out there that have no freaking idea and they're putting these $20 yeah. cash app transactions into cold storage and not realizing that they got to clean their room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. The <laughs> I think UTXO consolidation is particularly important if you are DCAing into cold storage or if you're mining directly into cold storage. Like yeah. you just, you, you have to at some point be, confront this and be aware of it. And so we just want to get out in front of it and help educate people and help them understand how to consolidate and make sure that their wallets are are ready to go for when, you know, things do get a little bit crazier. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those things that I personally ran into with my own personal stash when I was DCAing back in the day. There was nobody out there looking out for me. Yeah. And so when we started setting this up at Unchained, just decided, hey, you know, we were already, we ran into a few clients that were running into the issues. Um, and so we just institutionalized it. So now we just look out for our clients um, across the board. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, a lot of people hearing this may think it's a show, but from the inside, it actually does feel that way. We are looking out for people. You know, it's a business, and of course, but that's how we talk about these things here, you know, internally. Is we're just, we're helping out. And it's amazing to have that. For the minor folks out there, fun little tidbit, increase your threshold have them paid out to a Sparrow wallet or somewhere else and then, you know, decide when you're going to go into cold storage. That's the best way to do it. You could get those thresholds to 10 million sats and make those UTXOs nice and hefty and then get that one bounce in there. Uh, wait for the mempool to be low. We always got to wait for the mempool to be low and then jump into cold storage. That's what I personally do. A lot of people I know personally do that uh, because you're right. If you just let the miner go directly into a cold storage I address, something I did when I first started mining was that as I would plug in, you know, my multi-sig address to the payout, and then I would pay out a million sats. Right. So it's like, hey, it's all good, cold storage. And it's like, no, it's not good. And I, I also experienced the situation where I had to pay, was about 50 bucks or something like that to get, you know, a consolidation transaction out. Yeah, and that was cheap at the time, I'm sure. It was bucks, cheap. Was like, and then yeah. considering I only wanted to move five bucks, I was thinking to myself, like, 
So I'm going to move five bucks, but I'm going to spend 50 bucks to move those five bucks. That's a huge, yeah. that's a 45 loss, right? Uh, so yeah, just a tidbit for the miners out there. I know a lot of people listen to miners. So yeah, it's just something to be aware of. And, you know, for miners in particular, there's a, managing your Bitcoin is really, really important. I mean, as we've just saw with Poolin, yep. which is Shit. right insolvent yeah. as of a few days ago, yeah. uh, not paying out their miners, um, you, you really, as a mining company must be holding your own keys. And then to Jose's point, you've got to just figure out a strategy. Yeah. You know, you just have to, you know, some threshold you want to keep with your uh, mining pool or whatever, whatever you're using, nice hash, whatever. Yeah. But, but very frequently you want to be withdrawing. Like as soon as it achieve it, it, that wallet reaches a certain value that you as a company or as an individual decide is, yeah, is now like more money than you'd be willing to lose. Right. Withdraw into cold storage. And then beyond that, then it's managing your cold storage wallet for the long run. Right. Yeah. So as a miner, especially as a miner, like if you aren't managing your UTXOs effectively, you're leaving money on the table. You're less profitable than you could be. So it's yeah. just really important. And it's something that, yeah, with a little bit of guidance, a little bit of help, I think anyone can do it. Yeah. But it's learning a new skill, just like holding your own keys is learning a new skill. It Bitcoin is. really forces us to confront with uh, confront with new skills and uh, it's the same with, yeah, self-custody. Even yeah. after you've set everything up, there's ongoing maintenance. You can never just set it and forget it. Part of the new mon monetary paradigm. Right. And, I, you know, some people learn differently, too. So, like, one of the biggest reasons for the show is that is to have, you know, people like you come on and educate people so that they don't get burned. But some people just got to get burned. They just ignore the content and got to get that rug pull every now and then to be like, oh, what Phil was saying is right. <laughs> so it's up to you what type of person you are, but take advantage of the wisdom because it's here. Um, Phil, in respect to your time, 20 minutes here, I want to just kind of, this is just a general blanket over um, just a Bitcoin community in a sense. So, you know, you're here in the Mecca in Austin, you know, you're around, around a lot of events. You've seen a lot of different type of Bitcoiners. Before we went live here, I started, uh, you know, I was letting you know that I'm more like, I like the, you know, philosophy Bitcoin um, there's different avenues that come into to Bitcoin. Nobody's wrong. Um, as a whole, where do you come into Bitcoin? Like what kind of empowers you in Bitcoin and, and, and makes you, in, in, you know, uh, enthusiastic about it? Um, and in your opinion, is the second part of this question, can all these different personalities actually mend together to make this successful overall? That's a big question, I know. For the first question, the thing that really resonated with me was this idea of separating money from direct, you know, authoritarian control. Yeah. Um, so nobody can change the supply of Bitcoin, or at least nobody can force my Bitcoin node to accept any sort of change in the supply of Bitcoin. So for me, Bitcoin is 21 million. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. My node verifies that every 10 minutes as it processes a block and that will never change. That is extremely powerful because we've never, humans have never had a money that has been immune to inflation. We've struggled for thousands of years to figure out how to coordinate at scale, how to build civilizations. And we've never had a coordination tool, a ruler that has a fixed length. Yeah. 
Now we do. Good point. So I always kind of go back to this point, which is in, in ancient Sumeria, the f- some of the earliest writing that was ever discovered, it was a tablet and it was a ledger. So money, in a lot of ways, solves a problem that comes before having a shared written language. Mm. It's like proto language is even like having a coordination mechanism, a way to store and communicate value when you're building a civilization is almost more important than having a shared written language. Wow. Right. So that's the first step. So what we're doing right now in 2022 and really started in 2009 is we are taking this really interconnected global economy that is built off of these rulers that just keep changing shapes and can't actually measure anything. Yeah. We're ripping that out and we're putting in a new form of money and it's a form of money that nobody can stop. Right. And nobody can inflate. And so that's, what's really fascinating to me. And now describing this phenomenon has been a constant challenge for as long as I've been in Bitcoin. (laughs) I think the best tools that I've found have been the Austrian economics texts because it's all about individual action and how people act with meaning in order to deliver value in order to live in order to, you know, have a life and live in a community and grow a civilization. A lot of Keynesian economics, which is, you know, what I learned in school is more about how do we, how do we like dial different knobs at a civilization level to try to influence people to do things differently Austrian economics is much more like describing a human as they interact and how a person acting meaningfully then develops civilization, how civilization emerges from people just acting meaningfully and working together in a community. Yeah. And they've always like the Austrian school has always been open to this idea of competing monies the Keynesian school literally can't exist without central banking. And so now that we have Bitcoin, it's like the Keynesian economics or economists can barely describe it. They have no words to describe <laughs> it. And so they use, oh, it's a tulip. Oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. When if you dig, you know, a little bit deeper, it's none of those things. So going back to the top of that first question, yeah. what inspires me is I really think that this thing has the ability to deliver in unimaginable amount of prosperity internationally. Yeah. Like it's going to be rocky to get there as we started the conversation talking about, but once money is removed from the hands of human manipulation and there's a totally fair neutral system, I think the amount of creativity and technology and prosperity that will come out of that is going to be massive. Yeah. So with this, you know, with that success happening, then community will kind of play itself out. Is that because the follow up question was, is with like if I come in on a philosophy and you come in from an economics mind, we can still work together to make this happen. So with the success of uh, of that wealth being spread out, we'll be able to mend together and still. Absolutely. Still I mean, Bitcoin. Has to be the money of enemies for it to succeed here because it has to be neutral. It has to be has to completely exist outside of human politics or not completely outside of, but very, very much outside of. I mean, there's still some human politics, I think, when it comes to writing code and proposing changes and so on, which, you know, I think 
has been historically very challenging and is only going to get more challenging as we move forward, which is good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of people that are now starting to understand Bitcoin um, that we don't need to agree with. Like there's, I've even seen like Bitcoin socialists out there, which to me doesn't make any sense, but yeah. they, they resonate with Bitcoin for one reason or another. And that's good. Right. Yeah. I don't have power to influence their money. They don't have power to influence my money. Have, have whatever perspective you would like. Um, Bitcoin teaches really expensive lessons. Yeah. So if you are, you know, actively attacking Bitcoin or if you're investing foolishly, yeah. you will get burned. But that's, that's the benefit of Bitcoin. In today's society, in the fiat system, bad actors really are not punished. And in fact, the bad actors end up running the show. Then I'm getting away with it. <laughs> they get even richer. So yeah, in yeah. this new scenario, like everyone has the opportunity to get burned. Everyone has the opportunity to succeed. And we all just have to figure out how to cooperate without, you know, being authoritarian, I guess. Yeah. Which is difficult for many. Mm -hmm. So the final question that segues right into that is uh, maximalism. Um, how does that play a role? Is it something to pay attention to? Is it really toxic? Is it just people being people and mashing around? What's your thought on Bitcoin maximalism? My definition of Bitcoin maximalism yeah. is a person who understands that the world is converging onto one currency and the currency with the best monetary policy will be the one that wins. All right. <laughs> so it's Bitcoin. <laughs> That's a Webster's one right there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. so I think like, to me, I didn't come out the gate as a Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah. Now I have to be a Bitcoin maximalist because I understand that point. Like the world is being disrupted by Bitcoin. It's all converging onto the hardest form of money. That's not a new thing. Yeah. The world has always converged towards the hardest form of money as the primary kind of reserve currency. Yeah. But that form of money today is objectively Bitcoin. It's not, it's not an opinion. It's just money is a tool. Tools have different properties. Bitcoin has the best monetary properties out of any money. This is just objective. This is why Bitcoin is succeeding today. Yeah. So that's kind of my perspective is you really have to like the Bitcoin maximalism is just an understanding that money converges to one and it will converge to the money that is the most sound, the most neutral. Yeah. You know, can't be censored. Yeah. And, the, and there could be a spectrum of maximalism. That's right. And then yeah. I think beyond that, there's a lot of folks who uh, get into sort of the in-person communities or like in a, on a, on Twitter or whatever. Like yeah. there's definitely subgroups and subgenres, and um, I like some of them. I don't like others of them. Right. Those are, they're all Bitcoin maximalists. Again, yeah. Bitcoin is the money of enemies. I think what is unacceptable is when you understand that Bitcoin is the best form of money and yet you then go and promote scams. Yeah. Promote inflation, promote things that obviously do not have a long lifespan, right? Yeah. Just to pump it, just to earn more Bitcoin for yourself. I think that's unethical. Okay. So if that's toxic, 
Like, so be it. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll try to call it out when I see it. I'll try not to do anything uh, hypocritical myself. Yeah. But yeah, the, you know, the other kind of um, caricatures of maximalists, you know, some of the, some of the features are probably true. Some of them are probably just, you know, people BSing and that's reality. That's just life. The way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't make them, well, I would say it doesn't make them wrong or right. It probably does make them wrong, but it just depends (laughs) on your tolerance level. I think some people are over the top, of course, especially Bitcoiners going against other Bitcoiners, like, you know, uh, folks that are getting in, you know, on a KYC on ramps versus the folks that don't believe in that. And it's like, well, are you actually teaching the other person something or are you just telling them their way of doing Bitcoin is wrong? Right. And that, that's where I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's you're both still maxis, but you're not really yeah. educating anybody on anything if you're just fucking talking shit about how they do Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I, you know, I run into this issue with uh, the whole IRA, like we were kind of discussing, like yeah. some people just do not believe that the U.S. government should be involved at all with any aspect of Bitcoin. And I'm totally sympathetic to that perspective. If that perspective didn't cost people so much. Sure. Like you can get, uh, you can have the private keys to your Bitcoin without giving up up to 40 or 50% of your savings. Right. Like you should know about that option at least. Make, Make your own decision. But this idea that, oh, if you're not a real Bitcoiner unless you're using, you know, cold cards and you only obtain non-KYC Bitcoin and so on and so on and so on. You only eat me and you cut your own hair and you don't own any chairs. Like (laughs) cut your own hair is funny as well. I know. Like I think uh, I think at that extreme it's just fun. We're just obviously kind of being fun. But but, uh, there's a lot of purity tests out there and um, I don't think anyone is pure hundred percent. So like do like understand the pros and cons. And I try to be as transparent as possible with the cons. Like you're working with unchained unchained is a partner. We can see what's happening, right? We know who you are. Sure. Um, even beyond being a financial services company and having to comply with those regulations, like anyone who's helping you hold the keys to your Bitcoin and coordinate your wallet for you, knows how much Bitcoin you have. It could be Trezor Suite, could be Ledger Live, right. could be us, Unchained, could be, you know, Samurai Wallet servers if you're not running your own node. Right. Um, you're leaking a lot of information. Now, the same thing applies to the IRA. It's like, well, if you're going to have your funds in a tax advantage system and not pay capital gains tax in your Roth IRA, like the trade-off is that once per year, our IRA custodian reports the dollar value of all of our clients' IRAs to the government. Sure. Not how much Bitcoin you specifically have in your address, just unchained IRA clients have X million dollars worth of IRA Bitcoin. Yeah. Pass that along. That's them's the rules. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So it's the way it is, yeah. You know, it's not for everybody, but uh yeah, I just think there's no there's a lot of wrong ways to uh, interact with Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but once you're holding your own keys, you've you've achieved, you know, 85 to 90 percent of the security and kind of the right way to do things beyond that. You know, so first of all, hold your own keys. Second, eliminate single points of failure. Run, run a node, learn about lightning, try to try out all the coin join and, you know, no KYC tools and so on. But yeah. before you, you know, like try to become the purest 
Bitcoiner from day one, none of that matters if you've lost your Bitcoin. So right. first, yeah. first take control of the keys, secure your stash, eliminate single points of failure. Start right. there and then explore. Like once you're in a safe, secure spot, then you can go and, you know, yeah. sell all your chairs. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, the funny ones that get me is the non-KYC maxis who then go and post pictures of them buying or sending to an address from Strike. That one is a little bit troublesome to me. That means that they don't understand what they're doing, but I'll leave that one be there. It's a strange thing. Everyone's an expert on Twitter. Didn't yeah, you, you no. Get that, I, 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 100%. <laughs> so I try to stay away from Twitter. I've talked about it plenty of times in this podcast. I just, I'm not good at social media. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, it's one of those things that I'm like, I, I let the pros do what they do. I'll pop in every now and then and share some stuff. But I, I, I just, yeah, I get too caught up in like trying to fight with people. And it's a waste of my damn time. It happens. It, it's crazy. It's yeah. easy to do. Um, but anyways, Phil, appreciate your time here, man. We could talk about this stuff forever. Um, please let the listeners know where they can follow you or wherever it is you want to send them any call to actions that you got from them. You can follow me on Twitter at Phil underscore Geiger. You can email me at phil at unchained.com and you can uh, schedule a one-on-one meeting with me or my team at unchained.com slash concierge if you need help taking that step, holding your own private keys for the very first time. We'll make it very gentle. We send you everything you need. We hop on a, a phone call with you and we walk you through starting from nothing all the way to cold storage multi-sig where you hold the keys. And for the time being, it's only $250. So pretty sweet deal. Amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, a little additional if you do need us to send you hardware wallets, but you don't have to buy new hardware wallets. You can just bring your own. I just need yeah. two of them. So yeah, that's where to find me. Yeah. Jose, it was awesome being on the on the pod. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, man. It's, uh, it's an honor. I had you on the list. Guys, that's something I wish I had. Everything that Phil just gave you there is something I wish I had from when I first started. I didn't. Lost some Bitcoin, did some stupid shit. Uh, take advantage of testnet by the way you can do some shit on testnet uh, <laughs> testnet's my favorite shit coin <laughs> I love it that's the best way to put uh, but yeah check Phil out when's a guy so I'm, hey I'm letting you know Phil's coming for the title the voice of bitcoin at least in my feed uh, but you guys know where to find the show podcasting 2.0 apps our favorite seem to be fountain and breeze just because they're the easiest to onboard but we want to keep this decentralized and you can go down the list i'll post a link in the show notes that's about 30 to 50 different apps where you can support the show you can let us know if you love the show stream us some value and conversely if you don't like the show then we'll know because you won't stream us any value <laughs> uh, but check us out there 4k content bitcoin tv that's the place we want you to go we want to promote all bitcoin products here on the podcast uh, and if you just haven't moved over to the Bitcoin standard of media, you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, all that. But you need to get off all those algorithm junks. If you're there, give us a thumbs up, comment, rate, all the good old stuff that works and flirts with the algorithm that helps us get this message out and get the signal out to more people. Appreciate you again one more time, Phil. And I'll catch y'all next week. Later. Later.